Welcome back to the IV. Thank you for tuning in. This will be our last podcast for 2018, so we are going to make it absolutely special. Today, we will be interviewing Juan Silva about his project, and today we will be having a debate about immigration with Mark Pease and David Lee. Today, we are going to be taking a little rewind and revisit all of the things that happened in 2018, some of them funny, some heartwarming, and some a bit heartbreaking. Number one, the Winter Olympics. The U.S. won 23 medals at the Olympics, with nine of them being gold. Figure skaters Nathan Chen, Mirai Nagasu, Adam Rippon, and snowboarder Chloe Kim made history with their performances. Number two, the royal wedding. Who could forget when Meghan Markle and Prince Harry got married on May 19th in 2018? It surely was talked about in all countries, not only the UK. Number three, millions of Americans, including students, protested against gun violence, including here at our campus. Students organized a March for Our Lives and a walkout to protest gun violence within schools. Number four, Brett Kavanaugh was voted as a Supreme Court Justice. This was a very fiery, hot topic within not only the political world, but also here at school. A lot of students had very strong opinions about this topic, especially with his claim about sexual harassment. Number five, romaine lettuce posed an E. coli risk. We all loved the memes. Number six, former President George H.W. Bush passed away. Number seven, the midterms happened. That's it. Democrat, Democrats retook the house. Number eight, the world learned about audio frequencies. Is it Yanni or Laurel? Number nine, climate change has become a really big deal. California became engulfed in fire and the fire continues to rage. But somehow there are still people that do not believe that climate change is true. And number 10, one of the funniest things of 2018, IHOP changed its name to the International House of Burgers as a marketing tactic. Many Twitter jokes ensued. What do you expect will happen in 2019? How are you going to change for the better in 2019? Now on to our next speaker, Vala, take it away. What's up? It's Vala's voice. And well, since we're on the topic of immigration, I was hoping to tell you guys a quick rundown of what went down this past Tuesday, December 11th. The hypocrisy of Trump's immigration agenda is getting harder to ignore. And apparently, the president doesn't want Central American immigrants in the United States, unless they work for him. And here's why. President Donald Trump has some pretty strong opinions about black and brown immigrants. He's described Mexicans as criminals, drug dealers, rapists, etc. He said that Haitians in the United States all have AIDS, and he's banned visitors from seven Muslim countries to keep out bad and dangerous people. And he's called undocumented immigrants from countries in Latin America animals. What even, who even does that? Despite the racist undertones, Trump has framed his anti-immigrant agenda as an effort to put America first. He's accused immigrants of taking jobs away from Americans, lowering wages, and costing the U.S. government billions of dollars. So he justifies cutting legal immigration and pushing for a border wall as a way to relieve American taxpayers and workers from the burden he says immigrants pose to the country. This myth keeps getting harder for him to justify. Trump's own businesses and his presidency have made it clear that low-skilled immigrants are a crucial part of the U.S. economy and even the federal government, at least in my opinion. In the past few days, four women from Central America have come forward to say that they've been working illegally at the Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey. One employee from Guatemala, Victoria Morales, told the New York Times that she washes washes the 
president's clothes and cleans his private suit every time he visits the club. The Trump organization says it's not knowingly hired unauthorized immigrants, but this is not apparently so. The fact that Trump's businesses rely on undocumented workers while the president himself rails against them highlights his hypocrisy on immigration. All in all, Trump is pushing for the de deportation of immigrants who work for the federal government, but apparently the majority of his guest workers who cook, clean, and serve food at his private clubs are immigrants, undocumented ones. I don't know about you, but this doesn't really seem to add up. I think it's best that we move on with the next host before I start going off. You've just heard Vala's voice. Now to you, Myra. Take it away. Thank you, Ali. Today we will talk about what most of us have asked ourselves ever since the month of December began. Why does it get so dark out during winter? It'll be around 6 p.m. and the sky looks like it's already 8 at night. It definitely has to do with what you're thinking. Astrology. The Earth is, as we all know, on a tilted axis at about 23.5 degrees, according to EarthSky.org. It is a relative angle at which it is tilted in the plane of the Earth's whole orbit around the Sun. Due to this axial tilt, the Earth receives different amounts of sunlight in different seasons. During Earth's orbit in the summer months, the top of the Earth, the northern hemisphere, is tilted toward the Sun, giving us longer days. In winter, the northern hemisphere points away from the Sun, resulting in fewer hours of sunshine and shorter days. This also connects to the temperature, since less solar radiation reaches the ground as a result of the Earth's rotation around its axis. I'm sure you know, but the darkening of the sky early doesn't apply to all of the world. It works the opposite way in the southern hemisphere. And on the equator, the days and nights are always equal. That was enough for today's cool science bit. Back to you, Alexis. And now we will proceed with our interview with Juan Silva, a Sigma who's making a mark on the fashion world. How are you today, Juan? I'm doing great. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your project? So my project is a website called Generation One. So basically it's a advocacy project where I will bring advocacy through different world issues through fashion. So each month I'll design a collection of five garments where each one corresponds to a different issue. So recently this past month in November, I designed a collection that was based around the, the issue of the, <laughs> the, um, the holiday World Kindness Day. So the collection corresponds with bright colors and anything that revolves around the world of kindness. Thank you. I heard that your plan is to get admitted into the Fashion Institute of Technology. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So I plan to get admitted to the Fashion Institute of Technology because I view that school as really a creative school and it's sort of a gateway into the fashion industry. All the professors at the school know so much about fashion and what the industry con conceals. And so I want to make sure that I design different garments each day each corresponding to different inspirations. So I'm really testing myself to pull inspiration from things in my environment and random little in things I see around the world. What is the goal of your online blog? My goal for my online blog is to bring more awareness to different issues that people sort of miss in a way. For people to see 
to shine a light on different issues that people would not typically pay attention to. What are you working on right now? What is a project that maybe you aspire to do or something current? So right now I'm practicing designing different collections based around different objects I see. So right now I'm designing a collection based around the fruit, the dragon fruit. So I'm sure looking at different pictures I see online and pulling little inspirations to make a full collection of it. How do you feel about breaking gender stereotypes? I believe that's very important because gender stereotypes are really dumb in a way because they're people really correspond the ish different clothing with different genders. And I don't see that as fit because usually we go into like a high fashion store like Forever 21 or H&M, they have their clothes are, their clothing sizes are really exclusive for women. They go really big, they have plus sizes, but when you go into the men's side, they're very small, they're very tiny. And so I sure chose to go more to the women's side because that showed that because of the size they have. So even though I am wearing, I do wear typically more women's clothes, it doesn't, they're doesn't mean there have to be that stereotype of men having to wear men clothes or women having to wear women clothes. There can sort of be that sharing in between them. And what about your aspiration to work in the fashion industry? How do you want to break gender stereotypes in that way? So when I'm older, I plan to make a business that's based around androgynous clothing. And so I want to design clothes when I'm older that makes people feel accepted in a society where people are so focused on being skinny, they're so focused on being this thin figure that they see on it on social media. So I want people to feel inclusive that they don't have to wear that men's clothes they see online or they don't have to wear women's clothes. They can wear something that perfectly fits for both men and women. What is your advice for other students who wish to enter the fashion industry? Um, I would say for them to try gain ins inspiration from random little things, not necessarily clothing, because you become your clothing stands out once you gain inspiration from your surroundings. You become more creative. You be, you're able to create more garments and collections through that. Thank you so much, Juan. You are truly an inspiration. Thank you for sharing with us your plans, your future plans with us today. Now on to our debate with Mark Pease and David Lee. First, we will be having an introduction by Eddie Rivas, who will tell us the conservative point of view of this issue. Thank you, Alexis. So I want to mention that in the conservative view, uh, we don't believe that um, illegal immigrants, I'm, I'm sorry, immigrants in general, uh, don't have an opportunity in the country. We believe uh, in the conservative view that um, immigrants uh, have every opportunity to come in the country because here in the United States we believe that we are the land of free and land of opportunity and also the home of the American dream. The thing is is that with us we believe that um, in order to come into this country they have to follow the law and and follow all the policy so that um, when they are vetted and uh, they go through checkpoints and go through customs and border protection the U.S. are certain that uh, you are safe and that you are that you are you have no um, crimes that you have in your background so that uh, you'll be able to come to the country and be able to be who you are and who you want to be as long as you do not break the law here in the United States to keep all of us safe. 
Thank you for that introduction, Eddie. And now we will have Vale, our host, give an introduction for the liberal side of view before our debate starts. So basically, from the liberal perspective, I believe that everyone has an equal opportunity to come to the United States, whether undocumented or not. I don't believe that we have the, the right to say whether it's just or not for one person to come in based on their past or their, their parents' past or their grandparents' past or what they have done and the mistakes they've made. And so in this way, I believe that everyone should have equal opportunities and an equal chance to live the American dream such as we've been blessed with today. So now on to the debate with David Lee and Mark Peace. Thank you, Vala. So whoever wants to start first, go ahead. All right, so, hi. Um, how are you doing, Mark? How, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good, and you? I'm all right, okay. So starting off, um, I'm aware that Eduardo said that his perspective on the conservative view is to accept the immigrants to America because of their free will and their allowance of being a human being and being an immigrant is equally as accepting as any other person should have. And in that case, Eduardo mentioned that there should be more policies made on the immigrant status that's being accepted into the United States and that there should be more restrictions made, not more restrictions, but um, a very proper set of restrictions so that immigrants don't immigrate into the United States illegally, right? Um, but I wanted to kind of bring up the perspective on the refugees that are entering the United States of America and how President Trump has managed to control that issue. So recently, President Trump has decided to to switch the amount of immigrants being allowed into the United States on a yearly status from 60,000 to a third cut to 45,000 and has mentioned that next year he'll make a cut into 30,000 further cutting it in half from the year before. Now not only is this limiting the amount of people that are seeking refuge from their country that they're being destructed upon but he's making the U.S. be viewed as not a country of immigrants, not a people of diverse working backgrounds, but a people that do not allow certain human beings to enter the United States because, simply because of their title, their status. And I, I just wanted to see what your, your status was on this and your, uh, your point of view. Okay, so personally, in my opinion, uh, he has a point behind. Basically, immigration, or what they're seeking is haven, correct? Because of the, the persecution that they exist in their countries. That's the reason that we have... Uh, law set in place such as Cuba which used to even a couple years ago right before the Obama administration was allowed haven because of the communist uh, persecution sorry the persecution based on religion and so personally I believe if you're being persecuted based on race religion anything like that yes you will you deserve a right to seek haven in the nearest country that being Mexico or that being the United States but just because you are not able to sustain yourself or sustain your family does not mean you have the right to come into the United States illegally. You have to properly do the system and undergo all of the forms to be able to come into the United States, which is happening currently. There's the Border Patrol's processing over 50 to 100 different immigrant forms, sorry, uh, asylum forms each day. And so I believe it's important to go as a United States citizen, as a United States conservative, I believe it's important to talk about how we as 
conservatives believe everyone deserves a right to seek haven for the proper reasons, such as persecution. But not everyone deserves a right to be in the United States just because they choose to be in the United States, especially illegally. The, legal, the way to become a legal citizen takes a lot of money. It takes thousands of dollars based on the forms, which cost over $800, as well as lawyers, which can cost up to thousands of dollars. And I don't think it's fair for those that have become legal residents and legal citizens after a process that takes over six years to undergo for someone to just come illegally into the United States and believe that they have a right to be in the United States when people have waited years, countless years, to try and become a United States citizen. All right. Um, so so I'm, I'm aware of your perspective, right? And I, I just wanted to know, what's, what's your perspective on how President Trump has decided to limit certain countries that have high amount of Muslim refugees or Muslim immigrants and how he has limited that specific group of people and the reason why he has done this and I want to see if you think that that is just or not. Uh, personally, I believe it's just because these countries, these six countries, are all, um, majority of them have terror, or many of them, many of them have had terrorist incidents within the United States, and I just want to state that, um, that this wasn't a travel ban just because they're Muslim, but if it's more of a security issue within the United States. So you're saying that because of a f selective few people that were viewed as terrorists or presented themselves as terrorists, that the entire population of Muslim immigrants and refugees should be discriminated upon. And if you're saying this, are you pretty much agreeing with the Japanese refugee ban? I mean, the Japanese, Japanese citizen relocation that we had a couple years ago, well, around half a century ago. And because if you're saying this, you know, um, because of the Nihao incident, as you may be aware of, the Japanese citizens that were discriminated upon was because of that single two or one or two citizens. And in this case, are you also saying that if you were a Muslim, I'm, I'm like, I'm not saying that it's, a, it's, it's fine to legally enter, enter this country, but if you were a Muslim and you were in the Syrian war, if your family was suffering under the Syrian war, and you had the capabilities of entering the United States, but you had to go under all of these restrictions and processes because of your title and because of the status that you have in that country, would you choose to risk the safety of your family or would you choose to stay in Syria because of those processes and because of those restrictions? I just want to say the travel ban itself was not a complete ban against these six countries. It was more of a time thing. It was supposed to take a six month to a year period in which where we could um, understand or not understand. Sorry, that's not the correct word. Uh, do background checks and be able to understand and realize what the people that were coming into this country. It was not a ban completely on, oh, you're from one of these countries. You cannot enter the country legally or sorry, legally. It was more of a understand who these people are and do background checks because at the time we were having an insane amount of uh, immigrants that were trying to come to this country and based on persecution if you're being persecuted i believe you have a right to come to the united states or the nearest uh, country that allows asylum which would be europe in this case and i just want to say that um that these people everyone must go everything 
everyone must go a form and everyone must go background check. And the reason this travel ban was instituted was to be able to allow for time for these people to be uh, regulated and be able to see who these people coming into the country are. Right, so I'm aware that you think that the United States, the United States government, um, uh, well, I agree that the United States government did not put a travel ban specifically on this entire group of people saying that you cannot enter the country. But do you think it's logical or just that the United States government has decided to rush into these restrictions and rush into these policies to further not allow these group of people, this specific group of people, to enter the country as the, with the same policies or with the same entries as other groups of people, such as in Mexico or such as in Latin American countries. And in that case, I want to present you with this issue that's been going on in our border crisis, you know, close to the RGV. So I believe that the allowing of a larger amount of refugees into the country will lead to the shrinkage of illegal caravans, if you're aware of what that, those are, and almost cause them to be non-existent up to the point where seekers of violence could easily be discovered. Raising the cap size of the allowed refugees, in my belief, will not only cause the purpose of these illegal caravans to cease to exist, but it, be, it would begin to prevent refugees from planning to enter the country with the means of doing it illegally. And the reason that there are so many people continuing to enter the country unreasonably is due to the fact that these people are simply scared for their own lives, as you may be aware, and wish to survive the cruelties of the conflicts in their own home countries. Now, raising the cap size of these refugees that are simply wanting to enter the United States from not cutting it in half from 60K to 30K, but in contrast, increasing it would ultimately deduce the size in which people enter the country with cryptic or hidden influences just because of the fact that these people that are in these illegal caravans are wanting to enter the country because they believe that they they themselves, by involving themselves in these caravans, have a better opportunity or a better chance of protecting their families or entering the United States, whether legally or illegally. And I believe that this refugee capsize that we put on these citizens and these, not, not citizens, but citizens of other countries, these people has caused these illegal caravans to grow because of the fact that they believe, as I said before, they believe that they have a better chance of entering with a bigger group of people with bigger capabilities and bigger entry, I guess, like with illegal means, of course, but this, 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 these restrictions that we're permitting on the people that want to enter the United States cause the refugee size, I mean, cause these people of having the means of wanting to enter legally just because of the fact that they're not allowed to enter the country at all. Uh, I just want to state that none of the countries that are coming into the United States seeking haven are being persecuted based on religion. And I believe just because you are poor or have less opportunity than another in an, another country doesn't just give you the right to try and enter the country illegally such as these people at this point i i believe it's an invasion of the united states with them flying their flags and stating that they um the only way they'll leave is if they receive fifty thousand dollars from president trump himself each individual so at this point it's an invasion of the country it's not even seeking haven because what are they seeking haven from they're not seeking haven because they're being persecuted but just because they sadly can't live in their country because of the amount of wealth that's in the, with the wealth that's in their country but that's not a united states problem really that's like saying mexico everyone in mexico should be allowed to enter the united states illegally because they haven't they don't have enough money to feed themselves well they're not being persecuted they're not being killed based on anything they can, that they can't control such as religion such as um them being from a different race so I just believe that anyone should have, that 
the United States doesn't have an obligation to allow immigration when there's no reason to seek haven. Right, so I wasn't really mentioning anything about religion or race. I was, I was, so, okay, well, do you know what a difference, what the difference between an immigrant and a refugee is? Yes, I do. It's, do you want me to state the difference? An immigrant is just trying to move into the, a different country while um, a refugee, in this case, is seeking asylum based on persecution. Or right, on right, okay. So in that case, would you, you would agree that a refugee is simply seeking haven and wanting to be in a safe place for a short amount of time or even a longer amount of time to persist and contain their families in a safer environment. Now, I, I noticed that you said that these immigrants are pretty much invading the country and causing an invasion of the United States. And that's true, but I'm not talking about immigrants here. I'm talking about refugees in, well, refugees specifically. Um, the caravan itself are not refugees. I don't believe they're refugees because in this case they're not being persecuted. And I believe to be able to count yourself as a refugee, you must be persecuted and must be uh, terrorized and scared because they're literally killing your people based on race, ethnicity, st stuff in that aspect. So it's not themselves. The people coming into the country currently or trying to come in the legal caravans are not refugees because they're just seeking, trying to get United States opportunities. Right. Um, I know. I, I'm a, the illegal caravans was just another point that I was making and bringing up. I'm just moving back to the topic of refugees and the capsize that Donald Trump has decided to put on the United States. Um, and illegal caravans, of course, consist of these immigrants. And I was just bringing it up another reason why towards why they might have the means of immigrating illegally. But on the point of refugees, now I'm going to go back to my very first, my very my very first point or whatever I said in the very beginning. And that was the deduction of the amount of people that are being allowed into the United States as refugees. Um, as you may be aware, there are a lot of conflicts going on in the Middle East right now. And because of these conflicts, there are many, 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 many people trying to enter the United States, possibly at the highest amount that we've ever had in history. And we have decided to cut the amount of refugees allowed into the country, the most also in history, at the time where refugees are needed to be allowed most into the country. And because of this case, I believe that these immigrant policies should not only be reduced to the fact that refugees are being illogically and, yeah, simply illogically discriminated upon. And with that, I, I give you the, f the final word. Uh, I just want to say that the United States, do, are you aware of how many people um, the United States allows as refugees compared to the rest of the world? The United States is one of the highest. Yes, and that's because the United States is a free country. Yes, yeah, so the United States has allows some of the most refugees in, in the world. And so I just want to go back to Europe and how many refugees they go into comparison, in comparison to the United States. And so the United States, the United States' job is not to take, over, take, take care of the whole world and try and make everyone's lives better. It's just um, to try and help the world as much as it can, but... You don't see countries as your like in Europe, such as Great Britain. Yes, although they take in refugees, it's nowhere comparable to the amount the United States takes in. And the reason the United States is limiting the amount of refugees it takes in is because of the process that they must undergo. Many refugees that have been accepted into the United States have led to um, have caused violence, have done criminal activity in the United States, and we just want to make sure that we properly vent them and do proper background checks to be able to make sure that the people coming in are good citizens. Thank you for that very interesting debate. 
final week is next week so make sure you take a breather self-care is very important take some time out of your intensive all-nighters and studying to do a hobby of yours take a take a jog watch your favorite movie meditate eat some ice cream and just remember that everything will be okay soon or take up a new hobby our host myra recently wrote an article about new hobby ideas so go check out our website Thank you for joining us today, everyone. Catch you in 2019. Thank you for hearing the buzz.